What's going on, everybody? Welcome to My Social Life. This is the podcast where you can hear the real stories behind the people on social media. I'm your host, Jacob Kelly. And before we jump into today's conversation with Dylan DeJesus, there's a couple things that we need to go over first. Number one, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please consider leaving a rating and a review. The more positive ratings and reviews you get, the more it helps new people find the show and it really helps to grow the community that we're developing here. And if you're one of those people that have recently found the podcast, welcome. I'm very excited to have you here. Make sure you subscribe and stay tuned for future episodes. And to everybody listening, make sure you screenshot this, post it to your Instagram story, Type at my social life podcast and add to Hasu Custom Footwear, and I'll feature you on the account and send you a message as well. And one final thing, guys, if things get a little bit choppy at certain points or it feels like Dylan gets cut off, we did have some connection issues. Did my best to kind of work around them, but there might be a couple of awkward points during the podcast. But other than that, guys, I really think you're going to enjoy this interview. And now, without further ado, let's get to my conversation with Dylan DeJesus. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to My Social Life. This is the podcast where you can hear the real stories behind the people on social media. I'm your host, Jacob Kelly, and today we're joined by Dylan DeJesus. And Dylan is a custom shoemaker based out of Chicago, and he's done some shoes for NFL players, for famous rappers. And I'm very excited to have him here on the podcast today to talk about his whole journey and how he's grown his YouTube to over 70,000 subscribers. Dylan, welcome to the podcast. How you doing, man? Thank you for that intro, man. Making me sound cooler than I am. It's my pleasure, man. I'm excited to have you on the show. So I think the natural place to start is when did you start customizing shoes? I did a little bit of background research and from my understanding, you kind of started in like, I think it was your second year of college. Yeah, that's spot on. So it was uh, the first semester of my second year of college. I went to the Illinois Institute of Technology for architecture. That was basically my plan my whole life. So as I was uh, in high school, I was really just focusing on drafting classes. I wasn't even taking any art classes or anything like that. Any uh, you know open electives that I could take, I was focusing on uh, just getting a head start on going to architecture school. So throughout this time in high school, I really got into sneakers and just really loved collecting them and things like that. And then when I'm in college, I saw some people kind of online that were painting shoes that were typically made to match colorways that were exclusive rare sneakers that people couldn't necessarily afford. So what I got my first start on was there was a pair of LeBrons that released in 2011. This is right after he went to Miami. So they were like a South Beach colorway. They were like this teal and hot pink and the LeBrons themselves were incredibly rare and expensive and being a broke college student I couldn't afford them of course so I decided you know what let me go ahead and take a pair of Jordans and try to paint them to match that colorway so that was how I got the start on my first pair that's awesome and then so after you did that first pair were you kind of hooked at that point yeah I loved it and this was right around the time where like Instagram where I first joined Instagram so this is 2011 and I remember posting them on there and then like being in local sneaker groups on Facebook I posted them there and other people were intrigued by it and said you know would you be interested in doing a pair for me also so uh, throughout my second year I took on a second year of college I took on a couple client orders and was trying to manage uh a internship and doing a couple customer orders here and there and of course my school workload and so after that summer uh, I had finished up that internship because they didn't need me for the summer anymore and so I said you know what what do I want to do all summer let me go ahead try to see if I can build a business out of this whole sneaker customizing thing rather than just going and working some random job so that entire summer I focused on uh, building up a business trying to grow the Instagram and things like that so that was a lot of fun. That's awesome. And then, so was it that summer then that did you end up dropping out of school or did you finish eventually? Yeah. So I, uh, that summer is when I realized, okay, Hey, maybe I'm on something. So I went back my third year of college and I'm trying to balance both. And at this time I realized, um, as I'm focusing on my homework, all I'm thinking about is shoes and, and wanting to get back to, you know, uh, working on client orders and creating stuff for myself. But when I'm focused on the shoes, I'm not even thinking about the architecture homework and things like that. So I'm starting to realize kind of where my passion lies and and where I'm having more fun and ultimately what I want to do. So I finished up that third year and then I said, okay, I still have two more years of of this college that I'm not even enjoying. So it's time to uh, pick a path. And ultimately I did that after my third year and went full-time with the sneaker customizing. What did your family think of that decision where you were like, mom, dad, I'm going to drop out of school and design custom shoes full-time yeah so that was crazy because uh my dad is the main reason why i wanted to be an architect so his background he's a trade show carpenter 
and uh, here in Chicago that we have uh, some of the larger trade shows. And I remember him coming home from work as a kid and saying, you know what, Dylan, I want you to earn your living with your brain and not have to bust your back like I do and come home in pain because he has a pretty labor intensive job. So he kind of pushed me in the direction of, I want you to be the guy who instructs me what to do. I want you to create and be an architect. So that was pushed onto me early as a kid. You know, I was somebody who really enjoyed playing with Legos and, and just coloring, drawing art as a kid. So uh, ultimately, I think that, you know, I really only had one idea in mind, and that was to be an architect. That was really all I ever knew. So I was really, really, really scared to uh, sit them down and tell them that. But thankfully, it wasn't completely out of the blue because I was still living at home in college, and I took over a spare bedroom with the business, and they saw that, you know, there's something going on here. Clearly, people want this that, you know, has the resemblance of what could be a business, but, you know, it's still going to take some work. So thankfully, they got to see a little bit of the behind the scenes before I told him I'm going full time with this. Mm -hmm. So like with that in mind, what, how do you feel about kind of college university, like post-secondary now as someone that went to it, but discovered your passion outside of university and ultimately dropped out? So like, what's your advice to kids that are kind of getting to that age where they decide whether or not they're going to go to college? It's such an interesting topic. And I really do think it's, it's changing more and more as we move forward. And I actually just had a son this past year. So he's Thank you. Thank you. So of course I have to start, we're still a ways away, but I have to start thinking about what do I want to tell him about all of this? And, you know, I, I certainly was taught that in order to succeed in life, you go to college, you get a degree and you get a good job. You know what I mean? So that was the traditional path that I was taught and what I thought I would ultimately do. But, you know, when I was in school, I realized this is not what I'm enjoying. I'm not having fun doing this. I'm having so much more fun and making money now as a college student painting these shoes for people. So I think that, you know, there's always going to be certain jobs where it's unavoidable you go to school. Like, for example, my wife is a registered nurse. There's no way you could become a nurse and you wouldn't want a nurse operating on you without going to school and being smart. That's for sure. Same thing with a doctor or a lawyer, things like that. But all there's just going to be so many more job opportunities that are going to be created because of the digital age we're in and, and content creators. And I'm sure you talk to some really interesting people that are in the same field that I don't think you need to go to college. And you can get a head start by being 18 years old and, and picking a path and saying, I'm going to create something for myself before I decide to uh, have a family and all things like that. So I think that we're going to see more and more people heading heading that path of deciding, let me see what I can create for myself first, because the university stuff will always be there. You know what I mean? And we have this entire student loan debacle to sort through for so many people. So it's not like, you know, traditional college anymore is, uh, it's, it's not the easy end all be all. Mm -hmm. No, I completely agree. And I think like you said there, it really depends on what you want to do. If you want to be someone like a doctor or a nurse, obviously school is a choice, but it's a little bit more of a gray area for someone that wants to do content creation. I'm like pretty, I'm on like the exact same page as you, but you mentioned a little bit earlier that you started running the business kind of out of a spare room in your parents' house. How long did that last? Like when did you kind of realize that maybe it's time to get a bigger space? Yeah, so I was in there full time for three years, and we are in the uh, south suburbs of Chicago. And then um, after being full time for three years, I actually took on a business partner, uh, somebody, a family friend who just graduated college and was looking to get into just starting businesses and had some phenomenal ideas for where we could take this business. So we decided that uh, the best bet for us was going to be to get a larger space and be able to create more and expand the team potentially and not necessarily have like a retail store or anything like that, but just have a larger workspace rather than just a spare bedroom that uh, as soon as there's two people in it, it, it feels crowded. So uh, we moved downtown Chicago. We were there for about two and a half years. And that was an awesome time because we were downtown. We were close to everything. We were able to have a lot of cool people come in. That's when we really started to get into expanding into working with players in the NFL and things like that. So we were able to invite them uh, down to our studio because we were super close to Soldier Field, which is where the Bears play. So we had a few Bears players come by and things like that. And it definitely opened up some more opportunities for us just having a uh, larger space that people could come to. Mm -hmm. No, I can imagine. And was like your first real like kind of big break for lack of a better word when Trinidad James asked you to make custom shoes? Yeah, so definitely. So the story behind that is really funny because um, I went to my first sneaker convention, which is this place where hundreds of people just come and buy, sell and trade shoes. And I was going to be doing my first one. I want to say it was 
February or March of 2013. And the week leading up to that, I'm creating a bunch of pairs so I can have maybe 10 to 15 pairs uh, to display and intrigue people and have them ask questions and generate leads. It wasn't to necessarily sell each of these shoes, but to just promote awareness and show people something they haven't seen before. So I had a client that wanted a red and cheetah print shoe. And this is around the time where Trinidad James released a music video where he's wearing red pants and a cheetah headband. And I hadn't even heard of him or seen this music video or anything like that. But everybody was coming up to our table at this convention, taking pictures of the shoes and tagging him on Instagram. And later that night, within five, six hours, he reposted them. And I think he had something like a million followers at the time or anything like that. And this is kind of when uh, a million followers on Instagram was going to do a lot for you. So when he posted that, we got a ton of new followers. And right after that, his camp reached out to us. He was going to be having a show here in Chicago uh, within about a month or two. So we were able to create four pairs for him and his team and go to the actual concert, go to a meet and greet after and hand deliver them to him. So that was definitely the first time working with a, a celebrity artist, anything like that. That's awesome. And I think one of the craziest parts of that story too is the fact that when he reposted the shoes, he tagged you in them because I feel like now today, a lot of artists are struggling with being reposted by celebrities in bigger accounts and not getting that tag. Absolutely. And I think uh, certainly within the industry I'm in, a lot of people think that they're going to get reposted and they potentially even do work for free or at a discount because they think that promotion will come. And so that's tough. That's a that's a tough you know gray area of, of how do you handle that. So. And then so kind of back to Trinidad for a minute, like what was it like meeting him backstage? Like what was that experience like? Super cool. The, the, the first time I didn't meet with any celebrity or anything like that, I was I was nervous as can be. So I remember even waiting in line. It was like a meet and greet to deliver them to him. And I just remember being super nervous and, and taking a picture with him and getting his reaction. I just, uh, I was like a, a kid on Christmas myself uh, getting to have that opportunity. That's awesome. And did you ever like before that, did you ever try and like get in touch with artists to some degree? I know I went deep in the Instagram and I saw you were at a Logic concert, like, and like looked like a pretty small venue, like way back in like 2011, 2012 time. Like, did you ever try and somehow at that show, get a hold of Logic to get him a pair of shoes or anything like that? No, but that would have been a great idea. That's funny because uh, that venue was actually the same venue that Trinidad James was at. So that's a place called Reggie's here in Chicago that I was at the uh, Logic concert back then. I want to say that Logic concert might have been even before I painted my first shoe, but or maybe around that time, something like that. But um, ultimately, I think that uh, certainly after the Trinidad, if a few years later, that's when I realized, okay, you need to actually go out and kind of try to force leads. So when we first started moving into working with NFL players, we would, sh we would send out as many DMs as Instagram would allow us per day just to get people to check our page because so many people, this is something that they've never seen, painted shoes or anything like that. I think more and more people are starting to get used to it now. Uh, it might be a little bit more common, but uh, years back, people had never even heard of this. So just getting people to check us out on our page for the first time was going to be huge for us. Mm -hmm. And then was sending kind of those DMs to as many people as possible. Is that how you got your first NFL player, which I believe was a Packers player, right? Yeah, so that was Mike Neal on the Packers, and that didn't come through those type of leads. He had actually gotten a couple pairs of custom Jordans from us uh, the year prior to us working with him, and then he said, hey, uh, the season's about to start. We have the Monday night football or the Thursday night football game against the Seahawks. You know, I would love to do a pair, and I remember being really scared to paint a pair of plates because I had no idea how they would hold up to actual uh, game use, and especially by a bigger lineman. Uh, I had no idea how they would handle under that stress, but he said, you know what? I don't even care. I just want something cool. Let's go ahead and do it anyway. So I was hyped to do that. So I think that was the start of the 2014 NFL season that that came. Was it a little bit tough painting shoes for a Green Bay Packers player being from Chicago? Oh, that was tough. That was tough. The first few teams that I worked with were uh, uh, Mike Neal on the Packers. And then I did a bunch of the Lions shortly after that. And I didn't even get my first Bears player until probably three years after painting cleats for various guys in the NFL. So that was tough. Yeah, that's funny. Um, but so then was it kind of around that time when you were painting those cleats where things really started to kind of take off for you? Yeah, definitely. That was uh, an awesome time because a lot of these guys just have huge followings instantly. And if you did get that opportunity where they were willing to repost for you and potentially tag you, that was going to be great for business because, you know, you're going to get uh, people in a specific market that have never heard of you for sure. Like, you know, just for example, 
uh, one of the bigger players that we started working with early on was Eric Ebron of the Lions. And so obviously a ton of people from Detroit that are following him are going to now look after and follow us. So it was uh, it was definitely around that time where things really started to grow for us on Instagram. And then is getting more and more NFL players, is that primarily through word of mouth? Or how do you kind of leverage one contact with one player and then turn that into multiple? Yeah, I think that word of mouth is far and away the best way to really get new players to come after you because ultimately Instagram is just a pretty picture. It's doctored. It's the final thing. And there's nothing like people opening them up in a locker room and other people seeing it. And then people saying, yeah, I got these from this specific artist. So what we did uh, a few years back was decide that as we're sending out larger boxes, anywhere from three to 10 cleats to a team at a time, because sometimes players like to get multiple pairs that, you know what, we need to go ahead and get some custom boxes. So we invested a lot of money in getting our own custom shoe boxes because we said everybody else has orange for Nike, black for Adidas, red boxes, whatever the case may be. What if we do a completely different color, take our baby blue that we use for our logo and create our own custom boxes and let's send these to locker rooms. And so it paid off for us right away because as soon as this started happening, ESPN reached out to us. We did an article with them and it was really cool because the guy basically, the gist of the article was what are these blue boxes that keep popping up in this locker room and and tell us a little bit more about how all this came about. Wow, that's awesome. And then ultimately, I think I found somewhere that you just ended up designing cleats that were worn in the Super Bowl, right? Yeah, so that's, I want to say 2015. 15 might have been the first time we did something. It was for Kyle Van Noy of the Patriots. So I want to say, might have been 2016, I think, when the uh, Patriots played the Falcons. He was our first guy to be wearing them. So, I mean, that was, I'm a huge sports fan. I love all sports, grew up with it. My dad, grandpa, huge sports fan. So we watch anything and everything. So just kind of being able to watch any type of sporting event uh, and not only enjoy it for watching it, but then get to see your work on the field was just an insane feeling. And on the biggest stage in the world, what an opportunity. Yeah, man, that's crazy. Do you ever get to meet these players in real life? Yeah, so I have uh, been able to meet a few. When we had our downtown studio, we were able to have a few bears come by anytime. Uh, they would get new cleats from us. We would definitely invite them by. And yeah, I've just had a, a really cool opportunity to meet various ones over the year, get invited, get tickets to different games and things like that. So it's been it's been quite a wild ride, that's for sure. That's awesome. So would you say now that your specialty and like you're almost known for cleats, like is that primarily what people come to you for now? Yeah, I would say so because uh, even when the NFL season isn't going, I think that so many guys still want cool stuff for the off season and training and things like that. And I think ultimately that's what keeps us busy for most of the year, especially now uh, during the month of November. I think we're in the third or fourth year of doing this My Cause, My Cleats campaign. And uh, that's something that just takes up like an entire month for us. And, you know, we're working with new teams every year, new players, and uh, it just keeps expanding every year. So it's a really cool event that the NFL puts on. Do you do work with any NBA players or athletes in other sports, or do you kind of just focus primarily on football, that being your specialty? Football is definitely our biggest. I've done a couple NBA players. I haven't necessarily cracked into that market as much as we have with the NFL. But one cool thing we did with the uh, NBA last year is we worked with the Brooklyn Nets. And uh, starting, I think, two years ago, the NBA released a city edition jersey for each team. And last year, the Brooklyn Nets paid homage to uh, Biggie and they had like a Kooji sweater look onto their city edition jersey. So really colorful kind of uh, squiggly line pattern that is uh, definitely like an infamous sweater. And so we were able to ultimately make 200 pairs that were released in their stadium uh, during the uh, last season that was a uh, really cool so we would be back and forth between chicago and brooklyn last year and uh sell all of these shoes so that was a really really cool experience too mm-hmm. and can you kind of tell the story how that came about because it was because you sold shoes to the net cfo right yeah so he actually reached out to me on etsy of all places we don't even have any shoes for sale on etsy we sell stencils that we use 
uh, in a lot of our YouTube videos and things like that. And he reached out to me and said, Hey man, you know, I'm looking to get a pair of Brooklyn net shoes done. You know, how much would something like that cost from you? And so gave him a cost, did that first pair for him. He really enjoyed them. And he's like, Oh, Hey man, just so you know, I happen to be the CFO of the nets. I'd love to do some more stuff with you. We're releasing these new city edition jerseys. Do you think you could make a pair for me to match that? So I did that for him. And then he said, okay, I love how these came out. I'd love to do, I think a, four pair run for some of the big season ticket holders and we went out to brooklyn to deliver those he hooked us up with some courtside seats that was incredible and then after that he said that the season ticket holders really liked them he gave them to them as christmas gifts last year and then he said you know what let's go ahead and release them to the public so that's how that came about it's just insane because you just never know who you're going to meet you never know who you're talking to he certainly didn't introduce himself as the cfo right away he just went ahead got a pair for me I guess wanted to see how I handle business and, and liked what he received. And then we went from there. Yeah, that's awesome. So is that like, that's almost like a lesson to other people, right? That you never know who you're talking to. So you should always treat each individual customer like they're the most important customer to you. Absolutely. Like I almost think that he might've intentionally not said who he was to kind of see how I deal with people to see if, you know, I run a business in a certain way that, you know, he would ultimately vouch for me, which is something that he's done because he has uh, himself just gifted a ton of pairs to a ton of different people over the last year. So he's been a pleasure to work with. And you really just never know kind of what emails are going to come across your desk or who's reaching out to you. So you definitely need to you know, treat everybody like they might be the next big break for you. That's awesome. And one thing too, I want to ask you about, so you said you were going back and forth to Brooklyn and you sold 200 of those shoes in person. Mm-hmm. And I saw somewhere that you put that in-person events are very important to be going to. Can you kind of talk to uh, as to why that is? Yeah, so I think I kind of touched on that with like the Instagram being a finalized doctor photo, a clean look, and it's just not the same of seeing the artwork in person. There's nothing like seeing artwork in person versus seeing it on Instagram. So we did those uh, sneaker conventions for years because it's just kind of about raising awareness to us. It was never about, hey, let's take 15 shoes and try to sell all 15. It was about let's try to take 15 separate designs to show people everything that we could potentially do and then get their creative juices flowing to think of what they would ultimately like to end up to create. Because something that I've learned over all these years is that to me, it's not about creating one design that I can get you know, a million people to like or a million people to want to purchase. It's about, you know, creating the the design that each customer is going to like because you're just not going to be able to please everybody. Everybody's going to have their own specific likes. So that's when the custom pair is going to be the most special to the person when they have a little bit of the design input and it's, you know, made to their liking. That's when we ultimately think we create the best connection with the customer. So there's no way to do that just through an Instagram photo. There's nothing like seeing it in person, my, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple other things when I was doing my research that I saw that I kind of wrote down that I wanted to ask you about. And one of them was focus on things outside of just the art. Can you kind of go into that a little bit as well? Yeah. So I think that uh, just a lot of people in my industry certainly are a one-man team. And to me, I have never been that. I've always had a lot of help, whether that be I have a younger brother who has been with me from the start. He currently now helps with all the prep work. So there's a lot of prep work that goes in the shoes and specifically cleats. And then a lot of stuff that goes into the taping. And before we can even lay down any paint, there's just a lot that needs to be done. And then I've had various other artists work with me throughout the years. My wife has been with me from the start, helping anywhere, uh, helping with the art also. And then about three years ago, we brought on a full-time creative director who helps with Everything from our videography, creating all of our YouTube videos and handling all of the Instagram content and things like that. And just so many people in my industry are a one-man team. And, you know, I can totally get behind that, you know, doing everything, but that's certainly hard to do. And just in this day and age where you certainly have somebody like Gary Vee telling you you can never create enough content. There's only so much you can do by yourself. So it's great to have other people working with you. And I think that that's one thing that a lot of artists might not be uh, focusing on enough, just having somebody help you with just things like content, because you can never put out enough content, in my opinion. And speaking of Gary Vee, can you kind of tell me how you got in touch with him and ended up doing some custom shoes for him and a couple guys on his team? Yeah, so Gary Vee, we just sent him a DM and said, hey, we would love to make shoes for you and your team. What do you say? And within 10 minutes, he responded and said, let's do it. 
And uh, he sent us his sizes for him and his team, and we created four pairs total. And that was really cool. We researched a lot of Gary. Of course, it's not hard to find out a lot about him. So we made him a Knicks-inspired pair from his favorite shoe. It was an old-school Patrick Ewing shoe. We made stuff for Tyler and D-Rock, if if anybody's familiar with Gary's team. So that was really cool, and that all happened just by uh, simply sending him a message. But that's kind of how easy it is to reach some people nowadays. Of course, you're going to get lost through some people who don't search their DMs, but somebody like Gary, he's going to respond to practically anybody about anything. So mm-hmm. That's crazy. Have you worked with him on anything since? No, we haven't. We had a uh, couple of opportunities where he's been in Chicago, and we've tried to reach out to him to do some various things, come by our studio, You know, let's link up and – and do any other things, but as soon as he released his uh, his first K Swiss shoe, he uh, sent me and my team all pairs. So that was a, a great gift from him. And uh, I would love to work on some of his shoes and create another custom pair for him on one of his new designs that he's worked on. Yeah, that's awesome. That's actually the next question I was going to ask: Would you ever do one of those customs and then of his own shoe and then kind of send it to him to try and really get his attention and potentially yeah. leverage that to work with him to actually design one of the shoes? Yeah, absolutely. Because you know, if Gary likes it, I'm sure he would vouch for us like other people and say, you know what, let's do a limited run of these, and you know, this will create great content for you and great content for us. So it's one of those things where it's just tough to find the time sometimes to go ahead and do things like that, even though you know it would be a tremendous idea. And speaking of the time, are you the only designer then for your company or do you have a second designer as well? Yeah. So ultimately I'm the one who kind of handles all of the hard stuff and basically almost all of the artwork, but I do have help from time to time with things like the prep, taping, things like that. And my wife is able to hop in here and there when we're extremely busy and she can help with random things like base coats and, and finishing little touches. But as far as all of the intricate design details, that's definitely all handled by me. And then it's like, how many shoes can you do in a week? Ultimately, I say my goal is to kind of do one pair a day throughout if we look at an average over a whole year. But over the last month, the month of November, I think we probably did about 80 pairs in a matter of three weeks. So it varies throughout the year. But if I'm doing one pair a day on average, we're good to go. Okay. And it's like one thing I always hear from people on this podcast that it's important to be diversifying your income. So when it comes to shoes, is that kind of your main source of income or are there other ways you're able to diversify with custom shoes and make other money? I know you said you sell some stencils on Etsy. Is there anything else you're doing as well? Yeah. So I think that that is a tremendous idea and that is kind of where we started to have some of the ideas of expanding into selling stencils because we wanted to have a product that we could sell also that we use and vouch for. We knew we weren't going to create our own sneaker paint or anything like that. We're sponsored by a company named Angelus, which is in California. So we didn't want to go into the route of even bothering to try to battle them as far as selling sneaker paint or anything like that. So you know, could we sell any accessories that we use for custom shoes? What could we do? And we knew that a lot of people always ask us, how do we make our stencils? Where do we get our stencils? So we decided to do those. And then I think for the last year, about, yeah, a year and two months, last October was when we were able to be monetized on YouTube. And so that's something that we take pretty serious. We've done, we have probably almost 125 videos on there. And So that's uh, another source of revenue. And I think that everybody who tells you that is spot on that you definitely want to diversify your income for sure. That's awesome. And so speaking of YouTube, I know you mentioned you have a creative director, Jason. Mm -hmm. At what point, like how long were you creating all the content by yourself before you decided that, okay, now it's time I should bring someone on to specifically create the content for me? Yeah, so probably the first four or five years of being full-time, I was doing everything by myself. Originally, we were just, I was just shooting with my iPhone. And you're able to certainly get the job done. I mean, even four to five years ago, uh, the iPhone cameras are phenomenal. And then I bought a DSLR myself, an entry-level one, probably like $300, just so I could take a little bit better pictures rather than just with the iPhone. But there is such an art to the photography that I wanted to tell the, I wanted to expand on telling the story of the shoe itself. And I knew that I wasn't able to put all of my passion or or love into the actual photography because photography itself wasn't something that I was knowledgeable about or passionate about. So I knew that we always wanted to get a creative director and get a photographer in here. We tried a few other people 
And then the way that Jason entered our life was a, a funny story. My mom is one of the most sociable people that you would ever meet. And she likes to drive for Lyft and Uber, basically just to meet people and talk to people and tell the story about her son and what he does. And she tells probably every person that gets into her car to check out our Instagram, hands over business cards and things like that. And so February of 2017, she picked up a young boy heading to college named Jason and said, hey, are you into shoes or anything like that? Here's what my son does. And Jason says, oh, really cool. I'm into photography. Here's what I do. I would love to meet him. And so later that week, Jason came into our studio, met us, and we clicked right away. And he just uh, kind of took the bull by the horns and was able to show us stuff right away without us even giving any input or things like that. So any other photographer that we had tried in the past, we would try to really point them in a direction that we would want, show them examples or things like that. And ultimately with Jason, he just right away did his own thing. And it was something that we loved. That's great. Like, that's an awesome story. Moms are just, moms are great. Yeah, they're um, superheroes, man. Yeah, but I wanted to ask too, like, because I feel like with businesses, when it comes to content creation, I feel like a lot of businesses get held up because there's no direct ROI to creating content, right? Like, it's not yeah. like, okay, I'm going to post seven Instagram photos and it's going to yield this much in return. So, like, how do you kind of explain that to people that aren't, that don't necessarily have the comprehension of why that's important? Like, why is creating content important, even though there's no direct link to an ROI? That's a phenomenal question. It's so true because uh, even like with our YouTube page, we had uh, really started focusing it on Mar March of 2018. We weren't able to get monetized for till October. So that took us uh, seven months or whatever. And by that point, we probably had well over 50 videos. We were doing like three a week. We were going crazy just to really get it started. And we were putting in tons of hours into this and we weren't seeing a single dollar. But we kind of had the end goal in mind of where we wanted to take it. And the reason we really got into YouTube is because we just felt so stale on Instagram that we weren't able to grow really no matter what we tried. It didn't matter how crazy we went with our photography, how crazy of videos that we created for Instagram. It just ultimately felt like a stale platform that we couldn't grow on. I think in a matter of three years, we went up maybe like uh, – three to 4,000 followers when our first two to three years, we built up maybe 65,000. And then a couple years after that, we just, we weren't able to grow. It seemed like no matter what we did. So, you know, I think sometimes you can either sit there and say, you can blame the algorithm or, or try to blame something else and say, I don't know what's happening, but you know, I think that you got to take the approach of, all right, let's go ahead, throw a million darts at the board and hope one sticks. Let's try something else. So let's get into YouTube, see what we can do on that, see if we can expand into that platform. So that's why we even decided to give that a shot, really. And yeah, it's tough when you're not seeing any, uh, you know, return on all of your hard work at first, but you just really need to, you know, kind of focus on that end goal in mind and really celebrate all of the small wins along the way. Nothing happens overnight. I think to get monetized on YouTube, you need to have like a thousand subscribers and, and 4,000 watch hours, something like that. And that is not going to happen overnight. You're not going to just post one video to YouTube. Anything's possible, but it's not very likely that you just post one and right away that goes viral. So it takes a long time, but you really got to celebrate those small wins and have that end goal in mind. And speaking of going viral, what was the first video that you posted that really popped off? So we did a video that... Like I said, you got to celebrate all of the small ones. So the first time you're able to hit 10,000 or anything like that, that's a huge one. The first time you're able to hit 50K, that's a huge one. 100K, that's an even bigger win. And so we had posted a few videos on YouTube in 2017. I think we had maybe four videos, like a studio tour and a couple other things like that. Nothing really popped off. This is as soon as we met Jason. Then I remember Adidas released a Dragon Ball Z pack that was going to have maybe five or six shoes. And we had a Dragon Ball Yeezy video that was already up on YouTube for probably like six months or so. And it maybe had a couple hundred views. And I said, you know what? I think a lot of people are going to start searching Dragon Ball shoes on YouTube and things like that. What if we try to change up our title, change up our thumbnail, and almost try to grab some of those people that are going to be searching up this, this new topic here on YouTube? So we changed the thumbnail to one video. And I can't remember the exact numbers, but just changing the thumbnail and title got that video up to maybe 2,000 views within the first week. And that's when we're like, okay, maybe we should try this a little bit more. 
And the biggest video we have now just hit a million views, which is absolutely insane. I think we posted that in August. And that's a new series that we started calling Reviewing Your Customs, where we actually have other artists send in their shoes. And then I kind of critique them. And we got that type of idea from a tattooing show called Ink Master, where it's a tattoo competition. And then they have some judges that are famous tattooers themselves that go ahead and critique the artwork and, and things like that. So that's where we got the concept from for this new series that's doing really well for us. That's awesome. And that has that like when a video really pops off, do you notice a lot of people f- subscribe to your channel after that? Or is it more so kind of like a slow grind with getting new subscribers? It's interesting because I do feel that it is a little bit of a slow grind. We're at 70, I think we're about to hit 75K probably later tonight. I think we were like 20 or 30 subs away when I checked earlier today. So that's a huge milestone for us. I think some people are able to create a few videos and they're able to hit that 100k mark or, or grow past that and uh it's tough because you know you can run into that comparison syndrome and again say you know why me why can't this happen to me why can't i get lucky like that and sometimes it is lucky like that it is lightning in a bottle on youtube you get lucky with your title thumbnail the algorithm whatever the case may be you post at the right time but you just got to keep pushing through that and, and trying to try to find the thing that works best for you mm-hmm. and then what do you think it is about the reviewing your custom series that makes people click? Because you have the one video, like you said, which is that's over a million views, which is unreal. But you also have a couple other videos in that series that have hundreds of thousands of views as well. So what is it about those ones that get the clicks and get people watching? It's so funny because YouTube is so much built on the title and thumbnail. You really just can't stress that enough. And what's so funny about the reviewing your custom series is we started a series almost right away on YouTube called Customs of the Week, where Jason and I picked five shoes that we liked that we just would find on Instagram. We would search through hashtags like custom kicks. We would search through the Angelus page that was posting shoes that were painted, obviously, with their products. And we would just find our five favorite ones of the week. And it was a weekly segment. We would review them. We would try to find unknown artists and bring awareness to them. So it was almost the same exact concept but we were just reposting Instagram photos and talking about them. And then we said, you know what, what if we actually had them in person and were able to actually critique them and I was able to dissect them and and look at them with my own eyes, not just a doctored Instagram photo. And we said, you know what, let's go ahead and switch up the thumbnail, make it what we would consider a little more YouTube friendly or clickbaity. So the thumbnails for this reviewing your custom series tend to be pretty goofy of me having like a surprised face and the shoes really big. Whereas the thumbnails for our customs of the week, it would be Jason and I next to each other, along with kind of an overlaid photo of the specific artist that we thought had kind of the best shoe of the week attached in the thumbnail also. So it's just so funny because the series are very similar. The thumbnails aren't that far apart. And one series just absolutely took off. And we did 30 episodes of that customs of the week. We had them in 10 episode runs and each of them probably have three to 500 views. And like you said, all of these reviewing your customs episodes have well over a hundred thousand. So it's lightning in a bottle. Sometimes you get lucky. You just find that right combination of title and thumbnail. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. I think like kind of my takeaway from hearing you say that is that some people might be almost there, right? Like you had the concept kind of there a little while ago, but then you made a couple tweaks, you changed your thumbnail strategy a little bit. And now all of a sudden you're at over a million views. That's so spot on because we easily could have said, Hey, this series isn't doing good for us, which it wasn't customs of the week was not a series that was doing good for us. All of our other videos would do much better. But we put these out every single Monday. And like I said, they would only get a couple hundred views. And then we took a month break from YouTube in April, I believe. And then we came back, we said, you know what, let's switch to one video a week format. Let's try to take them to a little bit higher of a production quality, just up our quality from everything from the camera work to everything, start to finish rather than trying to pump out three videos a week or so. And then we had this idea of having this more polished reviewing series that uh, we really took the format from technology reviewers on YouTube. Specifically, we have the same camera format of a guy named Lou from Unbox Therapy, who most people probably know. He has one of the biggest tech pages on YouTube, and he has this really cool three-camera format where he has this front view of facing him. He has a side view for really cool detail shots, and then he has this overhead 
And we thought that that would be really cool and work really well for shoes. So we stole that. And we even have the same gray wall like him right behind me. And it's funny because a lot of people spot it right away. And uh, it's definitely where we got the inspiration from. So earlier you earlier you mentioned that you're closing in on 75,000 subscribers. Like you should probably hit that today. But I think a crazy thing to quantify that is the fact that in January of this year, you were sitting at 5,000 subscribers, right? Yeah, so we had a video that we posted in January on how to customize a specific Air Force One. And then a couple weeks after we posted that, it was a giveaway and that video really took off for us. So that was our most viewed video for a long time until we dropped the new Reviewing Your Custom series. And that video was our first one to hit 100K, 500K, but somebody, some other video ultimately ended up beating it to be the first one to a million. So it's crazy to think. I mean, like I said, I think you could easily, we could easily compare ourselves to other people who experience even faster growth and are able to hit a million subs in a year or something like that, or a hundred K in a few months, but you just got to control what you can control and, and try to grow as much as you possibly can yourself. Mm-hmm. And then with kind of with the growth that you had, though, I think how I originally actually found your channel is you were named one of YouTube's creators on the rise, right? Yeah. So that was in October, uh, mid-October. That was incredible. That was shortly after the second episode for Reviewing Your Customs. I think that's the one that probably got noticed by somebody at YouTube and they sent us an email and said, hey, tomorrow you're going to be the creator on the rise for 24 hours. And I thought it was a fake spam email that I almost deleted. But I showed it to Jason and he was hyped and said, no, I think that this is for real. Let's actually look into this. And so we went on the uh, trending page for YouTube that day and saw that uh, YouTube kind of alternates between an artist on the rise and a creator on the rise. And we saw that we were going to be the creator on the rise the next day, which was just absolutely insane and super cool. And a lot of people reached out to us that said, I can't believe I I seen you this day. I, I search this page every day and now I see you there. So that was a crazy thing. That's awesome. So did that kind of boost your subscriber count quite a bit that day? It didn't surprisingly. We th- I I think we probably gained less than a thousand subscribers that day. What's funny is I thought that YouTube would probably post your most recent videos, potentially your last five, because I think it shows. Uh, five on the main page and then you can scroll over and ultimately see like 10 and what's funny is the most i think the second most recent video was the reviewing your customs episode and they didn't have that on the main feed which works really well as a clickbaity youtube style video so they didn't post those which is really interesting to us so we didn't have any say on which videos were there and ultimately it was still awesome to be named the creator on the rise and we definitely uh, a lot of the videos that were first on the feed got a ton of views that day but I, I can't help but wonder what could have been if they went with what we know works well for the YouTube algorithm. Mm-hmm. No, that's super interesting. But considering like what you do know works, when it comes to YouTube growth, obviously like the art, the video itself is important. But are you ever get deep into like the math and analytical side of YouTube at all? Like do you look in your analytics a lot? Absolutely. It's it's something that we love looking at because you definitely want to see what works and what doesn't. And I think how we touched on ultimately, we decided that we have to do something different from customs of the week because these videos aren't getting any views. Let's go ahead and switch it up and let's do it in person. And so that was something that we tracked, you know, just looking at analytics. And for our first year, every week we would have a spreadsheet where we would track the views, likes, comments, and just see how things grew from week to week and, and, you know, create a new row for all of the new videos we posted that week. And we had some crazy analytics to look over from our first year because we were so excited to try to get to that 1000 subscriber mark and the 4000 watch hours and be monetized by YouTube. So it was something that we definitely tracked religiously and would try to pay attention and, and make decisions based off of that. And one thing that we did with YouTube that I heard on a podcast a couple years back, which is super interesting because I've never heard anybody else say it is go ahead and, and find out what's working in your field. Find the five pieces of content or five unique styles of video or pictures that are working really well. So us, for example, we went ahead and said, what are some other videos within the custom sneaker industry that are working really well? And we created this, uh, Bape Vans video that a lot of other artists did. And there was a few videos that had over a million views. And we said, let's go ahead and recreate this. And we would try to 
see what is working well and go ahead and try to put our own spin on it. And I think that's a great idea for any uh, content creators or anybody just trying to find what could work for them. Go ahead and see what's working in your industry and try to recreate it. Try to put your spin on it. There's there's nothing wrong with that. You're not copying. You're not doing something wrong. Of course, put your own spin on it, but see what's working and go ahead and give that a shot yourself. No, I think that's a great idea because the consumers of those videos are already showing that they want to watch them. So you're just kind of fit, filling that demand for those type of videos. Absolutely. But I was curious too, like you said that one of the things that the data and the analytics showed you was how you switched from um, the customs of the week to reviewing your customs. Is there any other insights that you kind of picked up from looking at the data that you're able to share over your time on YouTube, especially through your crazy growth period this year? Yeah. So we would try, like I said, we, I'm just somebody who believes you throw as many darts at the board as possible and hope one sticks. So we tried every different type of video, whether that be uh, really detailed tutorials, whether that be kind of just awesome, epic cinematography over music, just cool B-roll of me in the studio creating something cool where it's not even a tutorial, but you can see things made a certain way. And ultimately, it's just like an art piece by the uh, video work itself. So we tried that and we realized, okay, maybe those aren't working as well. It seems that the videos that are really working for us are ones that happen to have how to in the title or our detailed tutorials and things like that. We realized that's really where we have kind of the most growth potential of being teachers essentially on YouTube. So many other people that are in the same custom sneaker field are just posting, you know, time lapses of things that they're doing and and things like that. And we said, okay, you know what, clearly it's working for us to be the teachers of this content. It's something that I enjoy. Uh, I'm passionate about, of course, I have a lot of years of experience and I actually do enjoy teaching other people about it and talking about it. So let's go ahead and, and push that as far as we can. That's awesome. I think that's really cool because I feel like it's those tutorial based videos that are also going to be evergreen as well, right? Like if you're teaching someone how to do something for the most part, like that'll be relevant within four years, whereas commenting on like something that's trendy right now might not be relevant in four years. I think it's a really good strategy that you'll still get people coming in over time, not just right now. Absolutely. That's a great point. Like, you know, people are never going to stop searching how to paint shoes on YouTube. So how many time, how many videos can you get on that first page of how to paint shoes on on the first 10 videos, how many can be yours, or how to airbrush shoes, how to clean an airbrush, all these things that you know are going to be searched, not just today, but like you said, four years from now, they're not just the cool trendy hydro dip was the big thing in our industry over the last year to six months to a year or so. So people aren't going to be searching that as much in four years, but they're definitely still going to be searching all the basics and the how to's and stuff. Hmm, that's just it. But can you kind of talk to me too about the uncertainty of YouTube? Like we talked about these videos that have got like, you have that one that has over a million views. You have a bunch with hundreds of thousands of views, but you also have a video with like 3000 views. Like how do you stay motivated on YouTube when like you have some videos just pop off and do so well, but you have other videos that might not necessarily do that great. Like how do you stay motivated? Absolutely. It's, it's, it's insane because the reviewing your custom series for the most part is a relatively simple concept it's not it doesn't take us that long to do they're usually about 20 minute videos and they probably take me about an hour and a half to actually film but ultimately then you know jason spends probably about six to maybe about six hours editing each one where we have videos that we have spent 20 hours filming another 20 hours editing and and those can end up being the ones that have 3000 views or things like that. So you never know. And you just never know what's going to happen kind of with the algorithm, even on YouTube. Like I said, we felt uh, stale at a point on Instagram. So we never know if that may come on YouTube, but we're going to try to have our hands in as many buckets as possible and and try out as many things as possible. We're trying to find the next best thing after reviewing your customs. We don't want to just count on that because what if people stop clicking those videos, they get sick of that title and thumbnail. So you always just got to keep trying, keep pushing out new things. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. And then it's like with that in mind, like how do you come up with your ideas? Is it always going to those other creators in your niche and in your industry and seeing what they're doing? Or how do you like come up with your own ideas as well? Like where does that whole workflow come like come from? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that we'll never stop trying to pay attention to seeing what's working in our industry because like you said earlier, I think that, you know, these people have already clicked a video from a sneaker customizer or something like that. So now YouTube there's a 100% chance YouTube is going to believe that's what they want to see. So they're going to push more sneaker customizer content towards them. So 
if the content style is working for other people, you definitely want to try to give that a shot. And it's really interesting because tomorrow we're releasing a video that is probably our most basic tutorial yet to where I think this is the best video that we've made for anybody who is just painting a shoe for the first time. So it's pretty hard for me to, or sometimes I think that I teach in a way that I assume people may already know a lot. And a lot of people might be finding us for the first time, which is something you want. That means new people are finding you. But I talk or teach in a way of talking to people that they already have as many years of experience as I do. So we really wanted to get back to the basics for a video. And it's one that we put a lot into. It's like I said, one of those videos where we spent probably 12 hours filming and another 12 hours editing. And you know, we think we really believe in this video. So what do we want to do with the title and thumbnail? But it's something where we said, okay, this style of thumbnail is working really well in our industry right now. What it is, is it's just a blank shoe, a white Air Force One, and people hold a paintbrush up to it with a little bit of like dripping paint look. So that's what we're testing out tomorrow. We're going to see how it does. You know, we could have decided to play it safe and just go with a title of how to start painting shoes or something basic and just have a thumbnail of the shoes finished. But, you know, we said for this one, let's go ahead and try what's working really well in our industry. So that's what we're going to test out. So I'm excited to see how this one goes. That's awesome. And then, so when you said that that takes 12 hours to film, yeah. how often are you filming? Like, is it a once a week type thing on the weekend or do you try and bang out like three, four videos at a time and bulk shoot them? Like what's that look like? Yeah. So that, that definitely changes throughout the year. I would say just on average, kind of like you said, we, we, we spend about one day filming an entire day, maybe about 12 hours or so where we spend one day filming. And then uh, a later point in the week, it's going to be an entire day of editing. But other points throughout the year, uh, we're going to test out a vlog next week, which was basically a recap of the entire last month where we did like 80 pairs or so. So we're going to see how that one does. And yeah, it just, it changes from time to time. And then other times we say, okay, we need to generate a backlog. We need to have a few videos so that then we can create one of those 20, 30 hour videos because sometimes you just don't have time where you say, look, we got to put out a video this week, but you know, we only have maybe six hours to film and then we can only put three to four hours into the edit. So it changes, but you definitely want to, we try to create enough of a backlog that I wanted to touch on Instagram quickly. So you said things have kind of stalled there a little bit for you. So do you think Instagram as a platform has kind of hit maturity and it's slowly going to start declining a little bit in popularity? I think that everything kind of has a, a life cycle, whether it be looking all the way back to MySpace over 10 years ago now, or I think you could definitely, I mean, Facebook hasn't gone away, but it's probably a little bit less cooler in a lot of people's eyes than it was 10 years ago or whatever the case may be. So I think that there's always going to be something new, whether it be the rise of TikTok or Snapchat, whatever the case may be, there's always going to be something new that you need to, uh, you can't get left behind on, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. And is TikTok a platform that you're going to jump on or have you jumped on it yet? So I downloaded it a couple of weeks ago just from getting yelled at by Gary and so many of his videos and feeling attacked that you need to just give it a shot. So we posted on there. I think I probably have 10 posts on there. I think one of them got like 50,000 views. So that's pretty cool for having almost no followers to start. And, you know, I think that there is some truth to it, that it just never hurts to be in front of as many eyes as possible and all this underpriced attention that Gary talks about, even though the general demographic may be younger people who can't afford these high-end custom shoes, it doesn't hurt to be in front of their eyes. And then who knows, come Christmas time, they might show their mom or dad or aunt or uncle a really cool pair of shoes that they like. And, you know, that could lead you to generating more and more leads. That's just it. What about any of the other socials? Like I don't, I couldn't find you on Twitter. I found your Facebook. I think you have about 140 likes. So are those big into your social strategy at all or not, not too much? So we had a Facebook page that uh, I started even before the Instagram page that it got taken down like uh, probably, probably about 18 months ago. I think we had probably about 25,000 on there. And then it got taken down uh, uh, an Ohio State pair that we did. Uh, Ohio State said some copyright stuff and, and Facebook took the page down real quick. And we tried, you know, asking Facebook, contacting them, what's going on here? This is just custom one-off artwork. We're not mass producing these or anything like that. But we couldn't, uh, we ultimately couldn't get that back. So that was okay because Facebook wasn't where we were generating a lot of our leads or anything like that. O over time, I think uh, we have just, 
evolved with the platforms and started generating more and more leads from each of them, whether that be Facebook to start or moving into Instagram or, or now really invested in YouTube. I think that we always have kind of one main one where we're spending a lot of our attention, but we still try to not completely forget about all the other ones. Mm -hmm. And then kind of jumping back to Instagram for a sec, like how often are you posting there now with YouTube kind of being the core part of your strategy? The way I really view Instagram is really just for it to be to really for us to help route traffic to YouTube. That's what we ultimately use it for. And it's kind of our main portfolio per se. We don't, we have a website uh, and that's evolved over the years, but now it is very basic. So we don't even have like a insane detailed gallery of a thousand pairs. We just, if anybody wants to see our lifeline of work, we just point them to our Instagram, which probably at this point has 2,500 posts or so from all these years. So that's kind of what we view as our museum, our, our clean uh, catalog per se. And YouTube is where we have uh, our biggest uh, growth potential in our opinion. So. Mm -hmm. And then, so kind of with that in mind, then with it being like your, your catalog and then are you guys folks on trying to create like a nice looking grid with a good aesthetic? Cause as someone that listens to Gary, I know he's always yelling about don't care about what that looks like, but when it comes to you and your business, that could potentially help make a conversion. So is the overall look and feel of the page, something you guys kind of put some stress on? Yeah. So I think that just in that way, we have a very different approach from Gary on that, that don't worry about how the feed looks or anything like that. So we have our feed curated in a uh, cool way that we have every single row, which is three posts is dedicated to one shoe or one project. So we have one main photo. And then the middle post is always going to be a video, whether that be some cinematic B-roll or that be an untaping or a time lapse, whatever the case may be, some type of video. And then we have a close-up detail shot on the left post. So our Instagram feed for the last two years now is basically uh, separated into rows. So we just think it's kind of makes for a cool scrolling experience that you can really find out a little bit more about each project of seeing a main clean shot, a close-up detail of whatever the cool detail was in that project, and then some type of video for each one. Okay. And kind of jumping away from social for a sec, there's a quote that I wrote down from you that you said that I kind of wanted to ask you about, and it was that you create your own luck. Can you kind of explain not necessarily kind of like how you do that and why do you think that that's important? Yeah. So I think that, you know, that really just follows in the same methodology that we talked on earlier. If you just never know who's going to reach out to you and who's going to come across your page. And so for example, the CFO reaching out to us on Etsy, not even a social media, not even a place where we sell shoes. But the only reason that happened is because we were on that platform. The only reason that, you know, we've been able to work with so many NFL players and celebrities and athletes is because we've put in the work of having a clean looking Instagram page or YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, wherever they found us, we put ourselves in those positions to be found is kind of how I believe it. So if you're not doing all the work to be in front of as many eyes as possible, you're never going to get discovered ultimately is, is what I really believe. Mm -hmm. No, I completely agree, man. But I want to ask you like, what's next for you? What do you got coming up? That's awesome. I love that question because, you know, a lot of times in business, you talk about a big five-year plan and I have absolutely no idea. This is my uh, seven or eighth year doing this full-time and I, every single year, if you would ask me this question, I would tell you a different five-year plan or I would tell you a different end goal. One thing that I have always thought would be really cool is having, of course, a shop that is a really unique experience. I think that I'm somebody who really loves tattooing. It's not something I do. I don't even have any tattoos, but I love the art of tattooing. That's where I draw a lot of my inspiration from. And I think that there's a little bit of a stigma with tattoo shops that they might be a little scary to walk into or something like that. So I just think it would be so cool if I were able to open up a shop that had uh, a tattooer, it had custom shoes, it had a little mini museum of artwork and things like that. And it was just a cool experience, a cool hangout place. Um, but, you know, it changes year to year what I ultimately think uh, I'm going to end up doing. One thing that we really want to expand on in 2020 is doing in-person courses. So that's something that we really want to first test out here in Chicago. And then we would love to do them in different cities around the U.S. or even around the world. Who knows where that could ultimately end up go. But I would say that's one of our big goals for next year is try to see how many people we can pack into one location that will are willing to give us a day or two of their time and see how much we can teach them from start to finish. 
I think that's really cool. And the thing that stands out with both of those ideas is you've grown this awesome brand online, but the next progression for you is kind of taking things offline, which we've touched on a couple of times here. And you want to build like one, that physical space that people can come mm-hmm. to. And then yeah. you also want to go to the people as well. I think that's really cool because I feel like a lot of people think that doing things in person is not necessarily dead, but it's not the main way we communicate now. But it's cool that that's one of your top priorities moving forward. Yeah, I think that it's not going to go away. You know, in-person interaction will never go away, even no matter how much we start doing digitally and things like that. And I think that even us creating an online course that, you know, people who who can't come and attend, maybe they can purchase an online course from from us. So that's something that we've considered too. But I think really teaching somebody about custom shoes, it's something that I would want to do really hands-on and in-person. So that's something we're really excited about. Mm-hmm. No, that's awesome, man. But before we wrap up here, I wanted to ask you a couple questions. I ask the same people these questions are the same ones I ask at the end of every interview. Uh, the first one being you're going to dinner and you can take three people. It could be anybody dead or alive. Who do you take to dinner? Wow. <laughs> I was not prepared for that one. Uh, one for sure is, is going to be Gary Vee. I would just love to to three minutes of him telling me where what he thinks I should focus on the next year. I would love to hear what he would say. Um, wow. I'm going to, of course, say Michael Jordan, just being a huge sports fan my whole life, being in Chicago. The GOAT, potentially uh, talk him up to do a custom pair for him. That would be a uh, bucket list item for sure. And uh, wow. Ooh, this is a good one. Who would be the last person I'd take? Hmm. Hmm. Who's somebody that I could learn from? Mm. Probably Elon Musk, just because he's so off the walls crazy, it seems, that I would love to uh, to sit down with him, too, and see where the world's going to end up in 10 years, too. So, Would you be worried about the dynamic of having Gary and Michael Jordan at the same dinner? <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of alpha at one table. So, <laughs> and, and yeah, you know, Gary being a, a Knicks fan, yeah, I don't, I don't know if he'd be willing to come if I said Michael was coming. But uh, maybe he'd make an exception. Yeah. Um, what's some of the best advice you've ever gotten? Some of the best advice I've ever gotten, I think would just be uh, just my parents. When I told them that I was going to go full time with the sneaker customizing, they were, they said, you know, we 100% support you. This is your life. You get to do as you choose. And we have your back 100%. And, you know, we want you to give this your all. And that's something that I have absolutely lived by. I think that it's awesome that there's definitely two unique approaches to this kind of grind mentality nowadays. You can either go balls to the wall or a lot of people believe in, you know, you need relaxation and breaks and all that. And I totally see both sides, but I definitely lean more towards the uh, balls to the wall camp. And if I don't make it, whatever that means in this industry or as an artist, whatever, it absolutely will not be from lack of trying and lack of hard work. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. When your alarm goes off in the morning, what motivates you to get out of bed? I don't have to uh, respond to a boss. I don't have anybody to answer to. I don't have anywhere to be on time. So I don't. I I love what I do. I get to wake up and do what I love every single day. So I'm excited when the alarm goes off that I I get to go create and and do what I truly love and and live a passion and create new stuff that people enjoy. So I I love the alarm going off in the start of a new day. That's great, man. That's the dream right there. Absolutely. Um, What is one thing about you that people would not expect? One thing about me that people would not expect. Oh boy. I think that I I don't, it's hard to, um, especially on YouTube, since it's so in person, it's hard to, unless you go really uh, kind of freedom style to where you don't care that there's a camera and a mic in front of you at all time. To me, it's even after doing YouTube for almost two years now or whatever, it's still really weird talking to a camera or me talking to myself with Jason right in front of me and him not responding. I just have to talk to this camera and this mic. It's really weird. So I think that my in-person is definitely a lot different than my on-camera. So I think my friends, for example, that I've grown up with, they they sometimes see the YouTube videos and they have no idea who it is because it's hard to match the persona. So to me, I try to, Jason says I have a teaching voice when I get on YouTube. So 
I think that I'm definitely a lot looser in person and I probably come off as a little more, uh, a little more tidy on YouTube. And that's definitely not how I am in real life. I definitely feel you on that. I, I definitely have like a voice that comes on when I hit record to start a right. podcast. It's tough. It's tough. You know, it is. Um, what is one thing that's so important everybody needs to know? That you create your own luck. I really truly believe that, that, you know, what, what happens in your life is your life is up to you. You know what? Some people may have a little bit of a different head start or, but where you ultimately end up, I really do believe is in your hands and the decisions you make. And so go out there, create your own luck, put yourself in positions to win. I love that. And with the last question, I kind of like to flip the script a little bit. So instead of me asking the question, you're asking the question, but it's not to me. So imagine you have a crystal ball and you could ask this crystal ball any question and it will tell you the answer. What is one question that you would want to know the answer to? Crystal ball, crystal ball. What am I going to ask? I'm going to say, what should be my main focus for the next 20 years? I think I, I want to know where are we going to end up with this crazy social media and digital age that we're in? What do I need to, uh, what are some of the trends I need to stay on top of and things like that? Because you can never, uh, you can never be early enough to the next big thing. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good question, man. But we've officially made it to the end of the interview. We've battled a couple connection issues, but we made it. I'd like to thank you for taking the time out of your day to be on the podcast. I'd like to give you the floor. Where can the people find you? Thank you so much, Jacob. I truly appreciate it. This was fun. This was my first podcast. So you could find us at the Jesus Custom Footwear on Instagram. Same thing for YouTube. Those would be our two main platforms, YouTube for all of our videos, how-tos, tutorials, reviews, things like that. And then our Instagram page, which is going to be our main portfolio. Please come check us out. Awesome. I want to thank you once again for being on the podcast. And I want to thank everybody for listening. Whether you've listened the entire way through, you've only listened to bits and pieces. I really appreciate you taking time to check this out. Guys, do me a big favor. Go and check out DeJesus Costumes. I'll make sure everything is linked in the show notes down below. And if you need some custom footwear, definitely support them. And if you'd like to follow me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram and at the Jacob Kelly. Feel free to come and say hello. My DMs are always open. And if you'd like to follow the podcast, you can find us on Instagram and at my social life podcast or by searching us up on YouTube at my social life. Thank you once again for listening, everybody. We'll talk soon.